0: All right. Welcome to Equal Time Soccer. I'm Matt Pravratsky alongside Maddie Castro. For those who have not tuned in to Big Ten Plus to watch the Gophers play this year, I've used that phrase a few more times this year than in the past. Maddie, thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Oh, I'm so excited to be here.
0: (laughs) I think the only time people actually see our faces are when I post the exact same selfie where we're wearing masks. So that's why I said we wouldn't be wearing masks for this show. So. Congratulations to everyone for looking at our faces. I think the funniest part when I was talking even to like my my family and friends is I don't know if people know that you and I, I don't think we'd even met before this spring. We definitely hadn't talked a ton, maybe like a courtesy thing before games. So obviously I covered you as a player, but just, you, you know, I had never interviewed you or spoken directly. So when you, when you got asked or when you found out you might be calling games this spring what was your first reaction honestly oh
1: I was kind of nervous I mean I think that I don't know I would like to think that I have an extroverted personality so calling a game is just kind of like talking about what's on my mind and so many things run through my head anyways um we had we had a couple of conversations when I was at go, but not you know not substantial enough to be you know having a full-blown conversation mm-hmm. um, it's exciting I, I obviously have you know, read your articles and seen your live, So it was kind of like, mm-hmm. Oh, anything, you're a pro at this. And it's going to be really easy to just talk soccer. Um, so I don't know. It's the more we do it, the, the more fun it gets. I yeah. Mean.
0: you, You were being really nice to me the last game we called. You said, you know, Matt's Matt's a pro. He's done this a bunch. It's my first time. It's like, I've never called games either. So it has been a fun experience to sort of learn on the job. And it's maybe a little bit lower pressure because there's like no fans. We're in a room by ourselves in like TCF Bank Stadium. But you, you know, one of the best things about calling games with you is all of our conversations before the games, all of our conversations at halftime when we're just BSing about the team. I've said before, it's actually kind of hard to BS with people about this team because so many of the fans are like parents or it's like the coaching staff where like they're directly involved or it's like players. So it's actually been really great to go back and forth. But a lot of those conversations, you're able to pull on your experience as an alum and you're a somewhat recent alum. But how much do you think sort of the alums follow the current team? Like, were all of you following the team in 2019 when they had that tough year? You know, like, how much How much do you sort of stay with the club emotionally in terms of when they're winning, you feel like you're winning, and when they're losing, you feel like you're losing?
1: Oh, so much. We We talk about it all the time. I think anytime I meet with um girls from my class I talked to Rashid on a daily basis Tori um we we always talk about kind of like what we would do you know if our classes were still there how we would make adjustments on the field how we would make adjustments to to really anything um we talk about it a lot and we do talk to a lot of the girls that are still on the team um and we kind of we're, we're their cheerleaders too because we know how hard it is to do four years and to, to do the grind of it so we definitely stay in touch and we definitely talk about it a lot um Obviously, you know, that's our team. We're alumni. That's, you know, we blood, tears, all of that for four years. So we. I think it's something that will always be kind of watching the Gophers from afar. And we have a really good alumni system. I think a lot of alumni from years and years down the line still very much are devoted to watching Gopher soccer. So I think that goes to show the kind of culture we have as a team and as alumni. But, yeah, we definitely we stay on it. <laughs>
0: Well, there was, I, I mean, even the first time we spoke, like before we broadcast the game, we did do a video call just to like chat about the team. And even from like the first two things I said about the team and then you responding, I was like, oh, she has a lot more perspective on some of this stuff than me, just because you were teammates with some of these current gophers, even though, Mm -hmm. you know, you maybe didn't play with all of them, you were teammates with a bunch of them. And so that's been really, I think that's been a really interesting lens this season to see like what they're excelling at and sort of your perspective on that. I mean, let's jump in and talk about some of the things we've been seeing the Gophers do well this season. Just, you know, for you, what's been jumping out as some of the main reasons why they bounced back from having, you know, essentially by numbers, the worst year in program history to now being really competitive, you know, um, getting mentioned with things like the NCAA tournament by a few folks and even getting votes for being a top ranked program. What are some things, some key things you think they're doing that is sort of turned those things around?
1: I've seen a lot of growth from a lot of the veteran players. I think that last year I want to think it was just like a, I don't know, kind of a random blip and an error in some sense. Um, I think the team needed a lot of leadership um, on the field and off the field. And you know, that, that comes in a lot of different ways. And, and sometimes the biggest thing you can do for a team and your teammates is to just be a consistent player. Um, mm-hmm. I think that maybe there's a little bit of inconsistency last year, um, which resulted in goals and which resulted, resulted in maybe... Uh, lull in play and I, I've seen a little bit more consistency with veteran players and consistency with um freshman players who have been playing also I do want to comment we on our last time we called the game we talked about Bowman shooting from afar and that that's going to be her staple. and she scored in the Iowa game and I was thinking about you I was like ha she did
0: it <laughs> <laughs> well Iowa so yeah so the last game we called the Illinois game, right? And then, which which you and I called, and then the Iowa game. Both of those games, there were those moments where Duong replaced Megan Gray at holding midfield, Mm -hmm. and it left all of this space, like an entire, just like this entire middle third to final third uh, corridor And Mm -hmm. Sophia Bowman just, like, ate it up. She just immediately gobbled up all that space. And so she started doing that against Illinois. I think she might have taken, like, five shots from outside the 18 against Illinois. And then against Iowa, they're outside. And I think at the time playing into the wind. So I don't know if that helped her, if she could just, like, rip the ball and know it would get pushed back down or something. Mm -hmm. but. Yeah, that was pretty satisfying to see your score from distance. We, You and I are, like, obsessed with them trying from distance. Um, yeah, you know,
1: so to see that, that was that was funny. I was thinking about you in that moment. I'm like, ha, we would have totally went wild had we were calling that game. Um, but people <laughs> like her, you know, I think that her kind of stepping into that powerful freshman, you know, I've, I've got craftiness, I've got skill. I think that that kind of holds the team down a little bit. You have veterans who are just being consistent, and then you have freshmen who are taking risks, that you, know, you don't really have in the past, at least in my experience, um, it's re- it was really uncommon for freshmen to play and mm-hmm. to play a lot of minutes. You know, Molly Fiedler and April Bach and Emily Hessen were like kind of like our, mm-hmm. you know, rare, you know, it doesn't happen that often. So to see that and to see them take risks and be proud of that and be confident, I think that's what's kind of helping them this year is that, you know, they get, they get a little bit of consistency and a little bit of craft all put in one team.
0: Well, and I've really appreciated you've done a really good job of calling out um, the improvements with some of these older veteran players, too. I mean, I think the the craziest thing is, you know, Bowman is a freshman playing every minute of every game, which is unreal. Like you said, that's mm-hmm. that's Molly Fiedler territory. That's that's Emily Heslin territory in the midfield. I mean, like just the fitness level alone. It's like, good Lord, like these, oh, yeah. these players are beasts. But she. But other than that, I think a lot of the improvement has actually come from players we already saw last year. But just taking that jump, I mean, Abby Franson has shown well in the attack and she did okay um, in her spot minutes at outside back. But she's looked good as an attacker. She's a freshman. But really, you know, we haven't seen a ton of the freshmen um, on the field yet, which is actually pretty damn normal. But like we've just, you know so really a lot of that improvement has come from like Illinois, the seniors all had a really good, you know um, I think a good period sort of in that second half with like numerator was looking sharp. Del Moro was looking sharp. Langdok was looking sharp and they were just, they seemed really confident. I mean, like they were doing a lot of ticky tack, like, combining and in, mm-hmm. in that box, you know, Langdok is one of those players, like when she's on, it's like, she's on, you know, like she, you just, you're just yeah. watching her just groove. She looks like twice as fast. She looks like twice as talent Cause when she's in her groove, she's just so dangerous. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot mm-hmm. of those seniors have looked good. And then it's just so many, I mean, I think in a general sense, their defense wasn't terrible last year, you know, their defense wasn't ever the problem. But Mm -hmm. this year, it seems like it's tightened up. I mean, you and I have raved, you know, putting Patricia Ward back there, who's just this natural winger, and then she just looks so consistent at outside back. And also, if you would have told, if we would have known going into the Nebraska game that Alana Dressley would not have been playing full time, you and I would have been so scared about the back line. Elena Dressley comes in last year, looks like an absolute stud, Mm -hmm. like a born starter at outside back. She's working her way back from some injury stuff, I think. So she basically only now is playing even sub minutes. If you and I would have been told that at the beginning of the year, we would be so scared of the Even seeing the
1: starting lineup before that game, we were like, right. what? What's
0: right. going well, on? What I, I think some of that is Steph having fun with us. I think she likes throwing some curveballs because every show where I've interviewed players, they're like, yeah, we trained that for like nine months. You know, like it was just like, <laughs> Such old news by then. Patricia like Patricia, had been playing outside back. Coker had mm-hmm. been playing back at outside back. Meg Gray had been playing as a holding midfielder. So it's like only us that got joked. Yeah. Um, but I think... You know, I think in particular, there's still been a lot of like ebbs and flows. I mean, like there are times where the press looks really good and that creates low hanging fruit for the offense Mm -hmm. to convert into offense. But it's not all the time. I mean, like against Iowa, it was just sort of jumbled up a lot and this like just could not unclog that drain. But I think. The One of the things that really is jumping out to me is that they they do seem to be focusing more on earning corners as a thing in and of itself. Yeah. I don't remember a team like working to engineer corner kicks the way this team has. I don't know if you do from your era. It does not seem like something I remember. And I, I don't know if it's just accepting the fact that like we need more set pieces because it did not seem like a metric that used to be so focused on by players. I don't know if it mm-hmm. seems that way to you.
1: That's a hard one. Um, I guess I don't remember how often we earned corners. I think there was a period in my career that corners was something we went for because we had the height and we had the, the skill on a, on a set piece. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think that that's what's helping them a little bit is that Getting, getting to the end line, even if you're not getting a corner, you're still getting those crosses in. I've seen a lot more of that play than I did last year. Um, and regardless, it's it's still getting them closer to a final third opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. They do have really good, you know, Delaney's great in the air, Athena mm-hmm. in the air. You have taller um, Abby France, and you have other people that can get in the mix and actually cause chaos. And, and mm-hmm. they're just consistent in that, you know, off of set pieces. So mm-hmm. I definitely. That that's what's helping them but I, I I don't remember as much when I was a gopher if that was yeah. really pushed for
0: and I and I don't know if it's I don't know if like that's part of finishing club Maya Hayes we can eventually get her on the program and ask her with her finishing club with these strikers I don't know if like a small once every two weeks part of finishing club is also like hey earn a damn corner because we need a chance on goal because there, there have been times where like Bisman in particular, I'm like, oh, she's, or Ari did it too. Del Moral did it too, where I'm like, oh, you're just like working for a corner. Okay. Just like trying to kick it off someone. Yeah. Okay. Like, hey, go, go get that corner kick. Um, I can
1: see it for sure. You know,
0: um, <laughs> well, well, I think it's been it's just been interesting too because like you and I are sort of obsessed with um them trying from distance. Sort of like in basketball, you take those shots from outside and you just stretch the defense out and then mm-hmm. there's that room for cutting. I don't think we've seen the second result yet. I don't think we've seen sort of the outside chances leading to a stretched out defense where then the the cuts happen. Like I don't mm-hmm. think we've seen a ton of goals like that. But it's it's sort of like you have to take those shots for the next team's defense to then sort of come out to you so it's sort of a long-term investment maybe
1: yeah absolutely and I also think that I think once the shots become a little bit more accurate if they're if they're really testing the keeper you know 80% of the time then the then at halftime you know that coach is going to be like all right well they're kind Mm -hmm. of our goalkeeper right now, I think we need to step up and put a little more pressure. And then that recognition to to, to do slip balls and get in behind, is a little bit more obvious, but mm-hmm. I haven't seen them be so accurate on those far balls yet that mm-hmm. it would it would make a coach readjust their defensive line to mm-hmm. account for that coming um, right. that they're growing into for sure.
0: Right. I think that's, we could pivot now into sort of areas of growth they could still have because I think that's one area that's really sticking out to me is like exactly what you just said. It's the idea of they're taking shots from distance, but it still to this point seems like they're sort of deciding at the last minute to take this chance. And so there's mm-hmm. not always oomph behind that shot. Even it's funny because even Bowman's goal, I think she actually went to ground. Like she, yeah. she swung and then went to ground. And I so she got point. she got good contact, but like maybe first game in the elements and it was really windy. And I don't, I don't know if it was slippery or whatever. But it is funny that like the time where she actually did get good contact, she like, you know, ended up going down. But I think I think part of that trying from distance and I I can't remember. I don't know if we talked about this much on the air, but I think it's the idea of sort of deciding earlier in that possession that you're going to take that shot, even if it's only a second before instead of a half second Mm -hmm. before. Because it seems like sometimes you just don't have the muscle. Either it's a confidence thing or like an early decision thing. And I don't know if you can relate to that of, like, you actually had, like, one of the most amazing, like, bangers from distance in, in recent history of just, like, a mega goal from way out. But is that part of it, sort of getting it into your decision-making earlier so that you're not sort of just last minute, oh, whoops, I need to get a touch and, like, try from distance?
1: Absolutely. You have to kind of go into that with, I'm going to push the ball a little bit in front of me and get a good strike on it. I had, um, I had a couple of moments where that happened, where, you know, I set her step too much and then the ball's underneath me or it's just not in a good angle. Um, and then, you know, obviously I had my Rutgers, Rutgers goal, was, which was just, I like shooting from distance. So that was just kind of my forte. Um, but I remember a coach um, in a shooting practice, she told me, get the ball out from underneath you, like make that decision right as you receive the ball to push it enough in front of you to really get a good strike on it. Um, mm-hmm. Something that I think she really, really stressed for us. So at least for my class, um, which a lot of us did like shooting from distance. Um, we had that in the back of our mind at all times that, you know, make that decision quick and then push the ball in front of you. So it's not underneath you and you're not hesitating. It's just right in front of you to make a clean, good shot.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and on the flip side on that offensive third, I think another thing where they have shown some possibility for growth is in finishing, because I think the chance creation has been, been, not to like the peak of the, the recent Gopher history, you know, it hasn't mm-hmm. been to like the absolute apex where the, the the press is creating, you know, three to five chances on goal, even if it's only one goal a game or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's been creeping up and they've had their chances and they've certainly outproduced chances compared to opponents.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: there's still once in a while a time where like Beisman is doing so good at getting in position, but she's had a couple where they're just like, right on the goal line or like Harper, who's just, you know, busting her butt same way where they're doing so much to get right there and Mm -hmm. the ball hops like a weird way. It's like knee high or they, or they're like, you're on the wrong plant foot or something. But in terms of that, like last second finishing, literally I'm on the goal line, but I just couldn't tap it in. Is there anything to do preparation wise to do better? Or is it just like, Put anything on this ball you can, like you know. How do you try and improve on that? Because I think they're doing eighty-five percent of the work. They're the setup is there. The ball's coming across the goal, and then we're looking yeah. at ah! we're like freaking out. We yeah. wish there could be a goal. But how do you know? How do you coach that up? How do you train that up? Is it just? Is it just keep taking your chances and you have to like stay diligent? I mean, like, what can you do?
1: Oh, I would say adjust your timing. I know that sometimes you can't really account for ricocheted balls or, or deflections. Those are kind of unfortunate. But um, I think timing on a run, timing it on a cross, um, just kind of maybe reading the play just a half second before and kind of anticipating where that ball might go um, had it not been deflected or had it not been, you know, kind of a weird wonky ball. Um, mm-hmm. there's, a lot, there's a lot to say about having that poise under pressure, you know. You're going to have those, oh, my God, I have the ball in front of the goal. I need to shoot. I need to score. You know, you have those feelings. But I think you can kind of slow the game down by just thinking, okay, I just need to take a clean touch. I need to get that, you know, in a good position for me to shoot. So I would say timing and just being calm under pressure because,
0: mm-hmm. you know, you have
1: a lot more time than you think sometimes when you're on right, right. those plays. Um, but in the moment, you're like, I got to get this ball off as quick as possible. Um, right. Moments like that as a go for. I look back at tape, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I had, like, two more minutes that I could have held onto the ball and actually got a good shot. Um, so I think that would be that would be my advice to any ghosts that are finding, finding themselves in that position. Is
0: someone, is someone sending you film to haunt you, Maddie? When are you looking at this tape?
1: Oh, yeah, no. That's when I was a gopher, I watched all the tape. But oh, anytime, yeah, yeah. anytime they do have replays and I watch, sometimes I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> There Go have been times. Do it differently. <laughs> there
0: have been times this year where someone had a second more than they thought. Like I can't mm-hmm. remember if it was Ari or someone else. Where I was like, "Oh, you actually coulda, oh, you coulda." But it is. It, I think uh, the funny thing this season, too. Actually, it happens more than just the season. But it's like we've had so many of these games where the mm-hmm. Gophers don't score first, or they don't score until the second half, or they don't mm-hmm. score until late. Whatever it would be. And so there's this like ongoing anxiety that comes with a tight game or a tie game. So there's never the floodgates moment because they're always either coming from behind where they're responding to the moment Mm -hmm. or like against Iowa where on paper they should win that game, you know, like they quote unquote should win that game, but they don't score until the second half. So they haven't had the game where they get on early and then because the other team is pushing to come to get their own attack that there's space for them to sort of put in the second and third goal. So I think Mm -hmm. part of the finishing thing too, is that like everyone feels the weight of the game on every ball. Mm
1: -hmm. Whereas
0: I like a few of these games, they've played well enough to win by multiple goals. I mean, the funny thing is even against Northwestern, you know, after Northwestern scored into overtime is like the best you could see a team play at any level. I mean, like they were just crushing it. Like they look so good. <laughs> so, Like that version of the team could outscore other big 10 teams three to zero. I mean, like at their absolute best, they're so dangerous, but they're always in these lockdown moments where I envision players are just like, Oh my God, we have to score. Like, I think yep. of, like the pressure of like, Holy shit, we have to score. Yeah. <laughs> well, And one other, so one other thing I I definitely want to talk about is against Illinois and then against Iowa, there was sort of a return to form that we sort of worried about after last year, which is Katie Duong shifting to holding mid in part, I think as a trade for maybe defensive consistency, or maybe just like she has the decision making to play well there. And so shift her from like a, a 10 or an eight back to a six. Mm-hmm. But then the trade-off, I think, is then you're sort of um, trading kind of a higher floor lineup, maybe, for a lower ceiling lineup, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like the reason Bowman has been chewing up all of this turf is because Katie's playing all the way back. And then Ari is not like a ground coverer. She's a facilitator. You know, like she's mm-hmm. she's more of like a really nice pivot post where like she can take and and redistribute. So then there's all this territory, but it's, it's coming at the expense of sort of keeping Katie who can actually try pretty well from distance. So like that trade-off is also, I think an opportunity for growth where I don't know that we saw Meg make really bad mistakes that led to that change. I think it was just a strategic, we're tied. We need to score. So we need to change the lineup, you know, like what will work, yeah. But for you, when you see stuff like that, where there's just sort of the shift in player role, like how do you see the players responding when you've seen them do that the last couple of games?
1: Oh, uh, depends on what position you're in. I would say like, um, I personally like Meg Gray as that defensive mid um, Mm -hmm. at all times. I think that she's just really consistent and she's just phenomenal on the ball. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that her consistency kind of allows for Duong and Bowman to go up and just Mm -hmm. have it together. I like Mm -hmm. to see them on the ball together. Uh, I think that sometimes I think it limits people's ability to, to get more in the play Mm -hmm. when you, when you adjust the focus of um, going forward or or trying to get Bowman more in that central position, you know, you know,
0: Well, I wonder, too, I wonder, too, because Ari was playing pretty consistent as just like a Mm -hmm. steadying midfield force and attacking force. Yeah. And because so her playing so many, I I wonder, in other words, if the choice was we want to try and get Ari onto the field. But yeah. we're never going to take off Duong and Bowman because they have the best fitness on the team. They're maybe the most consistent on the team. So let's keep them on the field. And mm-hmm. then Meg ends up being sort of just by default the one who ends up having to come out. Because, and part mm-hmm. of the reason why I think that is because Meg ended up getting minutes up top against Iowa where she has played in the past. And mm-hmm. as soon as she was up there with Biesman, I was like, oh, wait. I forgot. I also really like this. I was like, I was like, wait a sec, because you and I both love Meg Gray as a holding mm-hmm. mid. Now, I mean, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with with Meg Gray on this team. By the way. like, people know that at this point, yeah. like, there's she is like an equal time favorite. But as soon as she got on up top, I was like, oh wait, I forgot how much I liked her in the press. Yeah, and then I was like, oh. But I think so. In other words, I think it'll still keep moving. I think one of the yeah. hallmarks of this year has been that Steph has actually been really willing to change stuff game to game. I personally yeah. feel like it's more than previous years. I don't know if it seems that way to you.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that in my, my career, we really only we had 13 players, 13 to 14 players that went in, and there wasn't a lot of movement with those positions. Even though I was a lot of a utility player, and there are other players that were utility players, I almost always knew what what it was going to look like, like that I was going to be forward for that game. That was going to change. Um, Our midfield line, you know, maybe the diamond switched a little bit, but essentially it always stayed the same. Um, That could just be, you know, back then we had Josie Stever and Molly and Emily, we had very consistent phenomenal players out of this world. Um, I think that that, that's why things stayed most of the same. Um, I think with, I think it's a good thing sometimes to have a lot of different players that that have a lot of different skills. That you know they're not the superstar, but there's so many good consistent players that you you bring the level up regardless. I think that you're seeing a lot more utility in all players than just a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with Ari, I would I would like to see her play a little bit more forward actually. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. because, you know, she is not going to be that player that's going to body up girls and, you know, receive balls in and turn people. But she's going to be really good slipping balls in with mm-hmm. especially Bowman and Duong and just being able to move the ball for the forwards and, and create more opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I was a, if I had a preference for a lineup, um, I'd definitely keep Meg as that defensive mid and then love mm-hmm. to keep Bowman and Duong and Ari as kind of their own triangle up top. Mm. Um, I think they just – they're all so silky on the ball that I think they can create a lot of opportunity. Um, But I do like that Coach has been very versatile with how she's playing certain people and and how she's putting certain people with certain people and mixing it up a little bit. I think that's good for them.
0: Right. Well, I think – and I think sort of the historic lineup you spoke to, I think after Stever graduated, you know, like all Big Ten quality midfielder, I think Mm -hmm. by the time she graduated – I think the front six did have a decent amount of rotation in the sense that Fiedler and Heslin weren't coming out unless there was some like literal bone sticking out of their leg. But yeah. they but I think in general that bigger rotation still had a lot of predictability. Like you said, there mm-hmm. was the 30-minute sub point. There was, you know, and then the second half, maybe it was the 25 minute, whatever it would have been. And it was more of a set rotation. So like more of a we switch at this point, it's always these three or two attackers or two at a time, you know, 25 and 30 minutes in. Whereas this year, game to game, I don't know that it's ever been consistent. But like you said, I've actually found myself liking it in the sense that she's been rolling with who's rolling. And so I've enjoyed that part because I think, whereas having a steady lineup rewards someone who's like showing in training or like has quote unquote earned it, the game to game reward someone based on what they're doing the day of too. And so I, I've yeah. liked that. And like you said, Ari has shown well replacing Selena at the top of that diamond mm-hmm. where they're actually kind of playing center forward. So like that's been one really funny thing this year is that coach has like specifically made a decision that the Gophers are now running a four, in terms of how it plays, I don't know that it's super different. You would know better than me, but I don't know that it's played super different on the field in terms of strategy. Essentially, the fourth quote unquote midfielder is really pushing up. Mm-hmm. And Selena and Ari are both sort of classic versions of that player where it's kind of like, I if I get an opening, I can take a shot from distance, but I'm also Mm -hmm. kind of a touch player, but I'm also kind of a passing, like a pivot point passer, Mm -hmm. you know, almost the drill of where someone stands here and drops it to a forward and they strike, like they're almost that type of player. So yeah, I could see Ari playing that. I mean, for you, like I say that sort of flippantly, like it doesn't really seem like they changed the system. It seems like like part of why they changed the formation was to make the roles more clear to players? Do you think yeah. that's part of it where it's like your job is the same. We're just calling you this so that it's more obvious to you, like there's less gray area. Does that sort of seem like the thinking behind that?
1: Yeah, and I do think that um I think that helps with the press. Um mm-hmm. I think that when i when I was um playing when we practiced the press, you know, we obviously we played, we played a four, three, three. Um, and we had our diamond in the middle and then, you know, we had a spread out three up top. I think the defensive responsibilities were a lot different then. So I think the, the, the formation they have now makes those defensive responsibilities a little bit easier and a little bit more obvious and a lot more easy to just, if you, if you do your role really well, then we're going to rip balls off. Whereas I think there's a little bit more reliability on covering a lot more ground and making sure you're not getting cut. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that switching to a four, four, two kind of eliminates a little bit of that responsibility, makes it easier to sit into the press, especially having freshmen be in the press. Um, it helps them out a little bit to have a little bit more solid positioning. Um, not as much worried about covering a ton of ground, even though they can, but, you know, being able to just be in their positions. I think that kind of helps them out a little bit. And that's why we've seen the press a little bit stronger than we did maybe last year, Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if we really saw the press be as beautiful and as amazing as it can be last year. I think that's what kind of hurt them a little bit.
0: Yeah, it seems like I think you've described this really well off air, but also on broadcast when we're at games. I think the part of the initial like sort of pre-press that we've seen where it's just general pressure from like a Beisman or a Langdock playing as the two forwards is sort of familiar in the sense that you're just trying to create some base level of urgency where they're just sort of, I'm showing, you know, I'm chasing and showing. Mm -hmm. But then by the time they're getting into like a really intentional sort of positioning, I think you did a good job describing whereas like, as opposed to a press where like the point is actually dictating the pass. Now they're doing a little bit more of responding to the first pass and shutting down. And so it's more it's the same in sort of like the same in basketball where you're either trying to force the decision or when the decision happens you collapse to then force that decision so it's like is that a first or a second and they've mm-hmm. done that well by pushing out and so it's worked well when it when it's on it's on I think Northwestern mm-hmm. when they felt the need to use it it felt on and Northwestern also seemed to have really specific principles about like how far on and off they played defensively. It was a very weird spacing game. Like Northwestern kept giving gophers so much space. I was like, this seems like a dare. Like it was, they were really daring them to try from distance and granted Minnesota didn't score from distance, but it just, yeah, just very weird. I, I think part of the other things that we've seen are some of the positional changes of, Ward coming, um, you know, from, from winger and we've talked about it so much, but like ward coming from winger to outside back gray at holding mid Coker is less of a change. Cause she really has always in her life been an outside back, but we mm-hmm. saw her as a winger. So like, those are things they trained a lot. So for you as a player, what do you remember about like internally those position changes that are happening sort of in the training ground that then, you know, like, Is that super common? Like to me, you know, we reacted so strongly at the first game of like, holy shit, they changed positions. I'm going crazy. But like for you as a player and you're maybe a a bad case because you had to play everywhere as a, as a fill the gaps sub from, you know, birth and the Gopher program, but how, you know, how common are those positional changes for players when they're making the jump, both from high school to college, but then even when you're in college and they're trying to figure out where you actually fit now that you're on campus.
1: There's definitely that, you know, sometimes when you're a midfielder in high school and then you get to college and you're, they're like, Nope, we're going to put you somewhere completely different and just train that. I think that it's as long as you're getting a lot of exposure to different types of players and different, I would say like coaches, because coaches tell you different things about when you're a forward, when you're a midfielder, when you're a defender. Um, I think for Patricia's case, Training as a defender for so long gives you the confidence to make that adjustment from an outside forward to an outside defender. It is—it's a little bit difficult to do that on the fly. Let like let's say you know she started as a forward and then they're halfway through the game. Like okay, you're going to play a defender. There's a little bit of a different mentality that you have when you're playing those positions. They're ju- they're just they're different. The expectations are different. Um, so I would say being able if you were to switch and there's plenty of players who have just switched to different positions. You know, Athena is another good example of somebody who played midfield, played forward, also played defender. I think having many minutes in that position and being able to train that with a lot of different players next to you gives you the confidence to go in there and not really think twice about having to be a defender when you just, you know, played as a midfielder two games ago. Um, I think that just being able to train in that is the most comfy thing in the world. It's the worst thing in the world when they're like, in the middle of the game, okay, you played forward in the first half, but we need you to step back as a defender. Um, I remember being like, okay, had to go from scoring to I have to lay out after you know every single time someone dribbles past me. It's, it's a different mentality, that's for sure. But um, I think that both of them have done a really great job. All defenders and all people have played different positions, and we've seen in the past settling in and being confident in that. And I think that goes to the fact that they've they've been training many minutes in practice, just getting those reps down and getting those you know, different opinions from everybody being able to settle in and adjust.
0: Right. Well, and I think we're only getting to the point now where some of those changes are starting to now flex. So like Mm -hmm. Elena Dressley's coming back. So Katie Coker and Patricia Ward, who both have played entire games, many entire games at outside back. Now it's like, oh, okay, well then how do we shift this? Do we just play with all three of them rotating a bit and sort of let them all play really high intensity, or do we eventually make a sort of quote-unquote permanent switch? Because to this point, they sort of just lived with it because Elena has been sort of like a anywhere from like a 30 to – she seemed – against Iowa, I think the box score might have been wrong. I think against Iowa, she played like 70 minutes like because she played a chunk in the first half and the second half. So we're getting to this point where it's like – well now are people switching back because like you said it's gonna be are we gonna see like Patricia up top because they've really liked Patricia seems to have stuck back there I mean like I don't know and like and Coker's looks so good too I mean it's not a bad thing to have three really good outside backs but it's just gonna mm-hmm. be funny I think um yeah I, know, but
1: I, I like Patricia as a forward um yeah. And I also like her as a defender, so I have mixed thoughts about that. Um, I think she's done a phenomenal job in the back stepping in, especially having not as much experience in the in previous seasons being an outside back. Um, and I know how difficult it is in the press to be an outside back, but mm-hmm. I love her crappiness on the ball as a forward. You know, she brings a lot of that physicality that I think we need a little bit up top. Um, and I also love Elena. I think she's a very consistent, powerful outside back. So. Mm-hmm. If I had a preference, I would say to put Elena in as much as she can and then keep pressure up top because I just, Mm -hmm. I think she's a dominant forward and can be a dominant forward given the time, you know, that she can spend up top. Um, Yeah, that's tough.
0: (laughs) And I think, I think too, what we might see is similar to how because Meg Gray had been taken out against Illinois at holding and then against Iowa, it was like, oh, wait, why don't we? put Meg up top and just see what happens. And maybe yeah. that was a let's hold a one zero lead move. But I actually think that type of thing could end up happening with Patricia if for instance, or with Coker to be honest, but I think mm-hmm. Patricia was more of like an, a like more of a winger than Coker. Coker just mm-hmm. could play well up there because she's an animal, but like <laughs> Patricia, I, I could see it being where in these substitution things where Elena comes in, And then if there's an opportunity to move Patricia up for like a a chunk to -hmm. sort of see how is Patricia working with this new attacking group? Like how is Meg Gray working with this new attacking group compared to last year? Because as much as we talk about like there's not that many freshmen playing, Beisman didn't play last year because she Mm -hmm. was on medical redshirt. That's a ridiculously different lineup. Mm -hmm. Ari was hurt for part of it. And she also just, you know, was not at her very best. The same with so many players last year. Mm -hmm. She looks so solid this year. So, like, the group is different. So, it could be different. Like you said, getting Patricia up there, does it work? Mm -hmm. Does it add a dynamic? Does Meg Gray add a dynamic? So, it's kind of, it'll be interesting to see, especially because this road trip is, frankly, really brutal. So, it's not exactly like an experimentation time. Yeah. Again, uh, Penn State and Rutgers, the two highest ranked teams in the conference. were excited for this road trip, but I, I'm also very scared. <laughs> Only yeah, just I'm like...
1: so curious.
0: <laughs> oh, so man.
1: curious to see how this goes. <laughs> I,
0: I actually think they've shown a really high floor. I actually think they could win either or both of the games. They would just be having to play at their max, you know, like if they oh, yeah. play to their potential, those could be good games. I mean, they could also lose. It's a road game to the East Coast during COVID playing outdoors. Like, it could suck. But I, they oh, could yeah. win. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's kind of the
1: beauty of this this series is that sometimes you go into that series fully prepared and you come out with a loss. Like, my senior mm-hmm. year, we Penn State 2-0, and we mm-hmm. were a good Sometimes you go and you sweep the whole thing. It, it, it really depends, and that's kind of why I'm right. so excited because – you know I, I don't know how it'll go it, it really yeah. depends on how, how they view this series if they go into it like we're gonna go balls to the walls no one's stopping us i i can see right. them phenomenal this series but if they go right. into it oh we're playing penn state we're playing Rutgers, like that could hurt them a little bit you know right that's a right. team that'll capitalize on that little insecurity so right hey, they need to get into it with We're going to rock it.
0: (laughs) I think I, yeah, I hope they go in being like, Hey, we just want a road game. Let's go rock and roll. I, I hope they throw a few elbows. I hope they throw a few shoulders. I hope they get scrappy because the thing is other teams have actually used that on them a lot, maybe because Mm -hmm. they're generally smaller. The team as a, like a, as a whole is not that big and is not like you have, you have some smaller players. You have like a few players who have, or have sort of a lighter frame. And so other teams have actually played pretty scrappy with Minnesota, even though there's not like a ton of like superstars to be targeted. They've just generally yeah. played really sort of I'm going to knock you on your ass. Mm-hmm. And so I would love if Minnesota got a little spunky and use, you know, Beisman use your frame, you know, Athena, throw yeah. some, throw some bows, get, get physical. I want to see it. Yeah. I think Bowman is like a secret under the radar possible enforcer because she is. A, I think yeah. she has a good frame. So, yeah,
1: enforcer that's a good word. They need to shake up pen and well, a little well,
0: bit. Well, Beisman I mean, Bisman has that role because she is yeah. so like her physicality is so she has such great speed and strength. She'll mm-hmm. always be the dream enforcer, but I think she needs to take some of these kids under mm-hmm. her wing and show them what's up, throw some bows. Yeah. Well, I think just one, get <laughs> one other change I think we do really need to talk about just because it was pretty dramatic is that keeper. So in the sense that changing keepers is a pretty big deal. So we already talked about this. So this is a big deal in part because Maddie Nielsen was a consistent starting keeper in the sense that like she was very capable, started for multiple years, had her mistakes like any keeper has, including like, mis- like that led to goals, which again, mm-hmm. Happens to a lot of a lot of keepers, but she'd played for several seasons, won the Big Ten tournament, you know, defensive player of the year. But I actually thought the first choice, even the first game to split time was a really it felt dramatic to us only because we haven't seen a keeper share before. I think other Mm -hmm. teams probably play second keepers more than we have seen or more than I have seen. Yeah, I, I just don't know that it's ever happened in like the modern era of go for soccer so to us it felt like pretty dramatic we were like holy shit yeah i like, can going out for the second half and she has looked really solid and now mm-hmm. now plashko is starting after a couple of kind of unfortunate goals against michigan so plashko is now starting and even plashko said on the show we had this week she just or last week she said it was it was honestly even weird for her you know splitting time is weird for keepers being a keeper is weird you're yeah. in your crew, like she and Maddie and and Anna are this keeper crew, you know, working mm-hmm. with Ali Lipscher before and now working with Tara. It already is a weird situation. You're like, mm-hmm. you're competing. There's only one person who can play at a time. So you're yeah. friends, but you want to play, but you want to cheer on your teammate. I mean, it sucks. Like being a keeper would suck. Yeah. <laughs> <And> so now... <laughs> now now plashko has been playing and she said part of you know you mentioned her confidence on the field and she did say part of why she's feeling more confident is when your role is more defined you just get more confident so she has mm-hmm. said that like since she's been starting then she feels more comfortable because it's kind of like predictable like you said what's my role going into the game what's my job what am i supposed to do all that stuff mm-hmm. by the way Megan Plashko is like very fun to talk to. She's like the most out, like, honest spoken player, maybe in my history of covering the team. So, if folks didn't watch that show, they should. She was super honest, including about like when she wanted to be taking classes and not. She was hilarious. But, but that's a really tough situation. But, like, so Coach made that decision, and now, now Plashko's been playing. Mm-hmm. But, for, but for you as a team, like when changes happen that way, obviously Maddie's still here. I mean, like if there's one injury or one bad thing that happens to Plashko, Maddie would immediately jump in and like need mm-hmm. to start. Maddie has won games before. She's a consistent teammate. You know, like she's been around, I'm assuming, a pretty positive presence in the locker room. So for you as a teammate, when those changes happen, how do you how do you help support sort of both people in that situation? It's like we want to cheer on Megan. She's playing. And Maddie is still here. She's won us games before we like her. She's our friend. She's our teammate. But, like, how do you both do sort of both at the same time? You know what I mean?
1: It's really hard outside and especially with someone going from playing many minutes to maybe not finding themselves on the field. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a really hard mentality, but it, it, it's that if you continue upping your game, you're upping everybody's game. Even right. if that doesn't get you on the field, you're, you're showing the coaches that I'm always for the team. The team is more important. Winning games is more important than, you know, maybe how many minutes you get. And right, I think for her, I think the mentality that she has, and I, and I think we, this is something we, we've discussed about her coming back for a fifth year, um, mm-hmm. is that, you know, there's still, there's still time to play and the more right. better, the better you're getting the better. Everybody's getting the better. The golfs are getting and that's, that's going to help us in the long run, And that's, right. You know going to put you in a better position than you know wishing that your teammate doesn't do well right that you know that's i think on on plashko's side i would i would be like man take advantage you know like you're you're younger you're getting those minutes you're confident you're getting more time show them what you're made of even if you know maybe next year maddie's the one playing and she is not playing or, or plashko's not playing i think
0: right you know, really
1: making a stamp right now and being like, no matter what happens, I'm a good goalkeeper and I'm here to fight for this position and I'm here to get better. You know, I think that's important to remind both of them. Is that you're here for the team, but you're here to get better and and make each right. other better.
0: Well, and it's I mean, like I, I will say too, all all the reports of everyone I've to talked to says that maddie is handling this like a champ like she has been like an absolute badass teammate she's supporting flashco she's supporting the team which by the way in and of itself should earn her a freaking trophy because like it is so hard i I already said i was never a keeper at any level you you weren't i don't believe maddie it is like being (laughs) a keeper is already so freaking brutal like i you know, like you can constantly be blamed when a team loses. You will almost never be praised if a team wins unless you make an absurdly obvious save. You know, like it is almost yeah. never you getting the praise. So, yeah, I think I just think it's really it's really crazy to have to balance that stuff. But I also mm-hmm. think, I mean, like you said, like Matt, you know, Maddie had those seasons where, Anna and Megan's job was to compete and to push Maddie. Like that was Mm -hmm. their job. Their job was to be ready and to, to do their absolute best because then Maddie had folks around her where she said, Oh yeah, I need to work on my distribution or, you know, positioning or whatever the same way they are. And we're working together and we're pushing each other and she's in that same boat now. So I mean like credit, credit to her for dealing with that transition because frankly, it's not easy and it's not easy for anyone. Like plenty of players have like quote unquote like lost spots or change spots or change mm-hmm. positions, And it's not Absolutely. easy, but yeah. I respect respect to them because I also keepers, I can't imagine going through that. So it's it'd just be wild.
1: Yeah. All three of them are fantastic people. So oh. it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> um, I, I I mean, obviously I play with Maddie, I think she's just up. Human. So it doesn't surprise me that she's taking it like a champ. And I yeah. know I know she's gonna be in practice just busting her butt off, trying to get better. And that's all you really need out of a teammate is someone who's gonna raise the level and you know, keep keep doing that every practice, day in and day out.
0: Well, and we talked about how hard it is to be a keeper. We didn't even really talk about Anna, who by all reports for like multiple years, just on pure shot stopping might have been like the best keeper on the team like she's just an absolute she's just a freak and so like she's an animal she's just and so the thing is like it's just really hard to take that job it's just really it's just it just is really hard and even Mm -hmm. like Brittany uh, Bentheimer who was with the team for at least one year maybe two she Mm -hmm. she now is at Northern Iowa and like getting minutes there I mean Mm -hmm. it's just it's hard to know the best way to handle that situation and so like three beasts of a keeper like on the same team is just like it's an embarrassment of riches and it's like kudos to them for busting their butt and like working hard to improve and kudos to Ali Lipscher before and Tara Hobbs now for keep pushing them. Plashko did say on her show that the workouts with Tara Hobbs are pretty crazy. It might be because Hobbs is bringing like her own workouts.
1: To yeah the table. I don't doubt it. <laughs> I will comment on Anna. She is an animal. At shot stopping there I can't even tell you how many times I said well I like just shooting crazy shots on her she stops them I'm like no, just let me score <laughs> just let one in <laughs> she's she's phenomenal like just an absolute great human and just a great shot stopper she's a phenomenal goalie as well so I do agree that you know but having three phenomenal goalkeepers is tough
0: yeah well and it's I mean it's it's just the nature of the game. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I even asked Plasco about, like, when you were getting recruited, how did you think about that? Did you look at teams and say, who's who's what year? And when I go in, she's like, I should have. <laughs> I didn't really. Like, she admits that she, like, didn't really consider that. Yeah. Because I, everyone knows that I can't relate to, like, high-level <laughs> D1 athletes anyway. But let alone, like, keeper, where you would literally have to be like, what do I have to hope for someone to get hurt if I go there? Yeah. Cause if you go somewhere where someone's just like a freshman, it's like, well, what, a, what's the calculus I'm doing here? Yeah. yeah. So we, 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 as two people who don't know about goalkeeping, we talked about keeping too long. So now yeah. we will go on Maddie, you are known to so many listeners and fans of, of the Gophers. So we did get a bunch of listener questions. So we're going to start now. There, a lot of these, um, they're not as anonymous as I would hope. I think you're gonna be able to tell who's asking which ones, but we're gonna do it anyway. And thank you to everyone who responded. So the first question is about freshman year roommate horseshoes. And and specifically who was undefeated at that activity, Maddie.
1: Okay. I I think that they're referring to a specific event
0: of horseshoes. Maybe. It's all you. I gave you everything I know.
1: Oh, I don't know. This is tough. This is tough.
0: Well, you don't have to guess who it was. Just talk, you can talk about. Well, you could guess who was undefeated, I guess. But you I'm can. I'm trying also... to remember
1: who was undefeated. Um, all I know is I was pretty average, pretty okay.
0: average shoes.
1: But also, you have to remind us. You have to remind everybody that my class, just everybody in my class, had unbelievable filthy touches. So um I was Wait, spend all that I would say.
0: <laughs> so describe so describe uh what's like the soccer version of horseshoes. It seems like I wondered when this came in if it was literally someone talking about horseshoes, but what's the soccer version of horseshoes for those who have not played?
1: Okay. So it's it's when you put two cones. So you put one cone on like 25 yard and then one cone on the end line zero yard and then you basically have your partner so let's say april bacham was my partner she would be in the opposite cone and i would chip the ball to her and she would have to one touch it down as close to the cone as possible
0: mm-hmm.
1: obviously closest to the cone would get a point okay say, go for soccer we go hard when it comes to horseshoes like very hard we're we're very aggressive but, about winning horseshoes
0: <laughs> so I don't always reveal sources, but just for entertainment value, I will say this was (laughs) Heslin. So I don't know. I don't know if that was because you were her partner or because she won and you were not her partner.
1: I'm going to guess it's because she won and I was not her partner. Although we did, there was many Saturday mornings when we didn't have games or just, you know, no practice or anything that we would, you know, just go and play just for the fun of it. Um, but I wish I wish I remembered. I think she I would. It wouldn't surprise me if she was.
0: Well, I'm assuming the implication is that she was undefeated. I just yeah. didn't. I just didn't know if it was you and her or if she's shoving it in your face.
1: She's probably shoving it in my face. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and then also, uh, she did ask about like living in UDAF and Four Corners. If you have any good stories from that.
1: Uh, that, I'm assuming was
0: that is that the freshman dorm or what would that have been? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Udoff was a freshman dorms. Um, me and Tara actually lived maybe two door, doors down from Emily and Molly. So I, I essentially like lived in their apartment for so long. I mean, we just left our doors open and just, we, we like we lived together, essentially, all four of us. Um, lots of good times in Udoff, man. Good times. We my class is very close. <laughs> uh, four Corners, though, if if anybody has been in the Mariucci Arena, I think I explained this to you last time. Oh, we yeah. Um, it's it's basically you sprint down one corner, you sprint up the next, sprint to the next corner, sprint downstairs, sprint up, and then you do that for all four corners. And it is the worst, the worst. I think everybody I know who's played for the Gophers who have done four corners have thrown up at least once while doing a four corner it's terrible (laughs) it's terrible so good thing she commented on that it's yeah worst fitness ever
0: speaking speaking of fitness we do i do hear that you had a very specific strategy for the summer before your senior year in terms of scheduling your fitness do you remember what that strategy was oh i don't know here we'll give you a second you can noodle on it that supposedly your strategy was to never actually schedule the time because then you could never technically be late because there was no set time corey <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so <laughs>
0: um that sounds by the way maddie that sounds like a matt move that doesn't sound like a you move that sounds like a like for those who don't know Maddie is like a top student who's applying to PhD programs right now and was a top division one athlete who worked out diligently her entire life. That sounds more like a D three choose a different sport during college kind of move than a Maddie Castro. Move.
1: Oh, this is kind of a funny story behind that. Um, I don't, maybe it was my junior year, um, summer that we were, we were training, getting ready. Um, And I I think somebody was late. I think, I I think it was Tori. Tori was late to a practice, a training session and Corey ran her real hard. And I remember thinking, I don't want that to happen to me. So like, I think senior year, Corey had asked me like, why why do you just kind of like show up whenever you want to? I'm like, well, if I don't time, like if I don't give you a time then I'm never late and you can't run me. (laughs) And when I told him that he was like, oh my gosh are you kidding me
0: he's like i got doped I yeah got, i yeah. got doped.
1: loop in the system you know but <laughs> later i think no actually i think that happened my junior year where i was like i'll just show up whenever um so then senior year he actually put you have to be here at 7 a.m or you have to be here right, at right. a.m so you know me just you know getting there five minutes earlier ready to go <laughs>
0: this- Well, it's interesting. It's also interesting that you mentioned throwing up because now we have an anecdote. We we have someone shared what I believe is close to a quote that you gave at one point while eating a big chocolate cake. You said, (laughs) "Eating this cake is like running a fitness test. You got to keep on pushing and pushing to the point of wanting to throw up."
1: (laughs) I remember where I was in that moment when I was eating cake.
0: Yeah, when was was when was this where and when was this cheat day, Maddie?
1: This I believe it was sophomore year, and it was back when they gave they got us Tanucchi's, and every single time they got us tonucis, it came with large pieces of chocolate cake. So they were they were just the best.
0: As part of like the team-supplied meals, you got these giant cakes. Has Corey shut that down yet?
1: Oh, he did, he did, yeah. Junior year, the the cake disappeared, you know. But we we used to go through so much cake, and I remember I was sitting there, and it was just so large. And I was like, you know, eating cake like this is like running the, the fitness test. The yo, you just have to keep going. You just have to keep finishing the cake. And Maddie Gaffney was like, "Oh my god! <laughs> like, <laughs> way to be a big girl about it."
0: <laughs> well, you were taking it seriously. You are very yeah. invested in it. For I take sure.
1: cake eating very seriously, for sure. Right.
0: This <laughs> is so. This is another one. This is sli- this is slightly more more serious, but a time you I think you have so many good insights as a player as someone who, you know, you played immediately, but you were never getting sort of easy minutes, quote unquote. You were never an automatic starter. You were never guaranteed a spot. It really felt as though you know you both were earning the minutes you were getting, but you had to continue to find different ways to earn those minutes. Like it really felt for me as someone who watched multiple years of your career and so for you when you see sort of some of these players i'm sure when you talk to younger players now sometimes you're sort of trying to keep them up and like hey listen you know like keep yourself up but for you what's a moment where you had doubts about whether you could sort of grind it out keep playing without getting sort of um star recognition or whatever you know in your dream when you started there's like a high bar of like yeah what if i yeah, what if I score like ten goals a year or whatever? and when it when it doesn't go that way, like describe moments you had where you didn't know if you could do it and sort of how you were able to c- overcome that as a player. <sighs>
1: That's a good question. I have I actually do have a very specific moment. Um, so in my transition between my sophomore and my junior year, um I had a conversation with coach and and she said, you know, I don't know what playing time looks like for you. I think that y- you have to show us more basically.
0: And and if- for folks for folks who don't know that's actually kind of I don't want to like well I don't I don't think I'm blowing any hints here. When a coach says that to a player, that's actually kind of a way of saying like if you want to quit, you could quit. Like yeah. That's kind of coach speak for if you don't want to play anymore you're good
1: yeah so which is brutal like, which is brutal yeah. so the worst thing you can hear when you're when you're you know really in a, in a point where your confidence is not too high right um, and you know that that was a hard moment for me but I, I i remember looking at her and i was like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna show you i'm gonna show you wrong i'm i think that i'm i'm gonna play next year i think i'm gonna i'm gonna come back and i'm gonna show you what's up and I went to Corey Peterson that day, literally right after my meeting, and I was like, "All right, I need to shock the world. I need to show everybody what I am capable of." And you know, maybe I only believe in, maybe you only believe. It, but now we gotta, we gotta show the world what's up. So I spent hours with Corey, hours on the field working with Crystal overtime, asking Tori to. to help me lay out and do all those big things. And, you know, going into my um, sophomore spring is when I actually got my first opportunity to get on the field. Um, I had played in, I started as a as outside back for all four of our spring games, mm-hmm. um, played many minutes in our fifth one. Um, and then, you know, summer grinded it out with Corey showing up whenever I wanted to, never being late doing all that. And then junior year came and I felt really good. I was dominating practice. I was really, you know, I had really good, you know, feedback from the coaches. And we get to our first game against oh man, I don't know, Kansas team.
0: I, was it Iowa State? Junior, no, it was junior year.
1: Junior year, yeah. I think it was like I think it was on like Kansas State that we played our first oh, game. Oh, sure. Um, and I was like one of two people who didn't play that game. Um, and I felt like there were other people who played over me that I was like, what? I'm i playing well, I'm so confused. And I'm just sitting. I'm kind of upset. I'm outside this Applebee's or something. We're, we're just on a pit stop. And Corey was like, you okay? And I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to play, you know, like even if I, if I break this mold, if I shock the world, I don't know if it's ever going to work. And he was like, you just got to keep going. You got to keep grinding. You got to keep showing them who you are as a player. You just need one opportunity. That's it. And then, a game later we played NDSU and I came out flying and coach was like that's when I saw you that's Mm -hmm. when I saw you play the way I thought you could play and from then I played in almost every single game after that and then Mm -hmm. went on to start in my senior year and looking back and I think that moment talking to Corey in that moment was you know so keep going keep keep fighting you're almost there um it was a hard journey that's for sure but I owe it I owe a lot of it to Corey I will say that. He was, he was the pivotal person in my movement. And, you know, it's a, it's, there's a, it's always going to be a little dark moment where we're like, what if I, what if I can't do this? What if I can't shock them enough? But Mm -hmm. I think that consistent of just, I'm going to shock the world. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm, everybody what's up. I'm not going to let anybody tell me what I can and can't do. Um, I think that kind of helped me get past my fear of not being able to be enough. But I also did, I also knew that I wasn't going to be I wasn't going to be a superstar and that was okay with me. I just wanted to prove to myself and prove to everybody that I was right to be here. And I was qualified and I was a good player and a good teammate. And you know, I I did, I did what I came to do is to kind of shock the world and and show people that no matter where you're at, where you're starting out there, you can get, you can get to where you want to be.
0: I just, well, I mean, I just think that's such good advice. Well, in in tons of stuff, I mean, that's good advice for life. Generally, like, You can, uh, Joyce giving you a shout out, Joyce Coker. By the way, Joyce Coker had an amazingly adorable picture of Katie Coker. She posted this week because it's Katie's birthday. If folks have not seen that, you have to go see that pic. I think there's a really hardcore bangs cut, which is great. (laughs) But I think, I just think that story is so important for folks to hear, especially younger players. I mean, the thing is when you make that jump from high school to college, you're no matter how confident you are no matter how good you are even no matter like how talented you are I mean like Mm -hmm. no matter how much you quote unquote deserve it it's going to be so different and so like you Mm -hmm. don't actually know how you're going to what role you're going to have or like how you're going to fit best or even like what position you're going to play I mean so much is unknown Mm -hmm. and so like I just think your experience is super relatable in the sense that It's not normal for someone to come in and for them to fit where they've always fit and for it to work super easy. That's actually not normal. I mean, like we laud freshmen like Sophia Bowman, but like that's not normal. There's a reason it's not normal. It's because it's just no matter how good you are, the fit is just not the same. So like if you were a striker and a goal scorer and a number 10 your whole soccer career, half the team was that. You know when yeah. you come to the Gophers, so just like battling through, and especially I think the point about you worked your ass off all summer, and then the first game you didn't play, and so it's like, well, damn, did I just find out it didn't matter at all? Mm-hmm. It's a good reminder that like that one moment is not your only moment. You know, like mm-hmm. it's because in in at that time it feels like you've died. I mean, like in, at that moment you feel like it's like. I'm leaving. I'm driving home. Like I'm done. Like this is terrible.
1: What do I do now? <laughs>
0: right, but then like you said, you played almost every game after that, so you just never know. You know when the next opportunity will be. Yeah, I just that's such a valuable story. Well, and if, that you have a specific one is great. I do think like Applebee's giant cake. A lot of this stuff is changed. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that you shared that I'm like, this does not seem familiar to me, Corey. Corey has tightened things up, I think. In terms of this, and we
1: probably because probably probably because of my class, we were just all over the place. And he was like, "We need to get this together." Because you, for sure. But the the cake, for sure. He was like, "We're getting rid of this."
0: (laughs) Yeah, your class took eating too seriously. You took it as seriously as fitness. Although all of you were physical beasts, so maybe. (laughs) <laughs> maybe maybe teams now need to bulk up add some cake calories and who yeah. am I to talk I was drinking this whole podcast so you, well and I do have one more question because you and I have gotten so much like really positive responses on social media so many so many fans so many player parents where you and I are just like feeling the love as we sit in a room indoors with our masks uh we're knowing mm-hmm see us watching on separate video (laughs) screens talking to each other from like 15 feet away but there's been so much positive feedback but I want to know in terms of people you've talked to off of social media not like player parents and stuff but from like your family or former teammates or friends have you gotten any feedback on your broadcasting where someone has given you like either legitimate or half-joking tips on what you should be doing have you gotten feedback from folks
1: I haven't. No, I I feel like maybe I should have, I should have asked. I do ask like, how did I sound? Did I sound okay? What did you think? Like I get that, but um, I haven't heard any specific critiques on what to do better. Um, I do get (laughs) shout out to Catherine Billings, who texts me every single, every single game I call and says like, you're so cute. Or I like hearing your voice. That always hypes me up, Um, but I haven't gotten any specific
0: critiques. per se. my, so my, my twin brother who did the cooking show with Duong and Bowman is easily my most honest and frequent, um, critiquer, but he gave me honest feedback that was more specific. But my mom also did tell me, she was like, you did great, but sometimes it did not seem like you were responding to Maddie when she would say something. So I did, (laughs) I did get good. I did get good motherly feedback that I've been trying to incorporate. So I'll, All of the player moms are huge followers of our work, but I also tell people my mom is also a follower of a follower of this work. So it's a very parent, mother-centric uh, vibe in in this crew. and to to some, I mean, we have sort of hinted at this. We are really excited that the possibility that games could be outdoors at a large, I'm the way I'm protecting this jinx is by not naming the venue, (laughs) a large outdoor football based venue on campus at the U of M is, is theoretically where we could see some go for soccer games. Maddie and I are already pre excited and thrilled and losing our minds at the possibility for games to be played at such a venue. We do not know yet if it means that fans could be there, but there have been updated guidelines from the governor, and the theoretical outdoor football-based venue is very big. So we are we are hoping that could be the case. The last three games for the gophers are the end of March. So they have their they have their road trip at Penn State and at Rutgers this weekend. Then they're back home. Uh, for a road for a, for a homestand of three games in a row against Maryland, Purdue and Wisconsin, I believe. So Maddie, this is easily the longest live show we've done. You, you stuck it out. Although you've had to deal with me for each two hour plus broadcast. So you've been through much worse but thank thank you so much for joining us for folks who want to follow the penn state game on thursday is on big 10 network the big big 10 network so through like your cable subscriber not through big 10 plus we will continue to help you navigate the weirdness of subscriber matrix that we live in Um, but otherwise maddie thank you so much it's been such a blast calling games with you this spring uh uh, unfortunately, your your PhD uh, pursuits and career pursuits mean that we may not be able to call games again after this spring, but it's it's been such a blast, and I there's still three more games to go, so I'm so excited to do those. Thanks for joining tonight.
1: Thank you.